Hello, I am Philip Kennedy. Thank you for downloading this podcast of the NYU Abu Dhabi Institute. We hope you enjoy listening to this. For more information about our programs, please visit www.nyuad.nyu.edu slash institute. Uh, good evening, everyone. Uh, my name is John O'Brien. I'm Assistant Professor of Sociology here at NYU Abu Dhabi and happy to be the moderator and host for this evening. Uh, welcome to our event, which is entitled Muslim Millennials Today, Identity and Religion. We have a lot of interesting uh, statistical information for you, and hopefully it will lead to a fruitful discussion about young people in the Arab world today. So I'm gonna introduce our participants for this uh, panel. Um, first, we have Dr. Jim Zogby, who's here. He's the Managing Director of Zogby Research Services, which is a leader in public opinion polling and research analysis and also the co-founder and president of the Arab American Institute, which is a nonpartisan national leadership organization, which was created to nurture and encourage the direct participation of Arab Americans in political and civic life in the United States. Uh, Dr. Zogby is a member of the executive committee of the Democratic National Committee and was twice appointed by President Barack Obama to the United States Commission on International Religious Freedom. He also writes a weekly column published in 12 countries. You may have seen it today in the National. Uh, and is frequently featured on national, international media as an expert on Middle East affairs. He also has two excellent books. One is The Highly Acclaimed Arab Voices, published in 2010. And 2013, he published Looking at Iran, The Rise and Fall of Iran in Arab Public Opinion. Um, our second guest today is Abbas Yunus, who is a research analyst for the Tubba Foundation here in Abu Dhabi. Uh, he is also a Muslim scholar who helps with the Muslim Student Association here at NYU Abu Dhabi campus. Um, and uh, he works for uh, Taba Foundation, which is a nonprofit organization here in Abu Dhabi that offers suggestions and recommendations to opinion makers so that they take a wise approach and uh, project the values of Islam. So thank you for joining us. Uh, I am going to be the moderator and we'll start with Dr. Zogby presenting the slides and then we'll have some discussion and then question and answer with the audience. And then you're all invited as usual to have some snacks and discuss further outside. Thank you for coming. I taught here a couple of J terms um, when you were downtown. This is the first time I've been out here and it is out here. Um, that's a joke, sort of, I don't know. I'm tired, I just flew in today at noon, so I'm gonna do my best to, to make this a focused presentation. Um, let me tell you, I, we've been working with, uh, with the Taba Foundation now for, uh, for a couple of years and value the, the, the relationship because the kind of polling that we do with millennials um, opens a window on a generation that is much talked about but rarely talked to. Uh, even in the States, we talk at them during campaign times. We sort of tailor campaign slogans to reach them. But nobody sits down with them and says, what do you think? Um, and why do you think the way you think? And so when given the opportunity to work with, with Abbas on, on, on doing these polls, the first group you see here, and we're in the field actually now doing a second set. By the time we're done, we will have covered all uh, the, the, uh, the, the Arab countries. Um, it was a, an opportunity I couldn't pass up. Uh, it, like I said, opens a window. I, that's how I talk about polling. That's what I think about polling, is that it, um, um, it is like opening a window. You talk to 3,000, 4,000, 7,000, 8,000 people, um, and you record every answer. We have a slogan at our company that says, every voice counts. And when you get 3,000 people um, and you put all their voices together, you hear this cacophony of sound saying things. Some things come through clearly. Um, when you've organized the data and you see that 53% think this and 23% think that, the louder voices are those of the 53%. They begin to shape your sense of where people are. There's no such thing as a uniform attitude. There are contours to public opinion. Um, and that's what we're looking for. What, what are the, the trend lines or what are the developing stories here um, among millennials? You know, we, we do the polling in the U.S. and we find that this issue of, we call them first globals or millennials, are an interesting, interesting group because 
they're the first generation to grow up with a very different worldview than those who came before them. They see the world as literally a world. Uh, their identity is largely global instead of country specific. Um, they not only get information differently, but they dispense information differently. And they're far more open to diversity than their, than their seniors are. Um, and they have a different sense of spirituality than adults do, who seem to be more tied to rigid formulas and behaviors. Um, with the millennials in the States, spirituality is more of an interior phenomenon. Um, and so knowing that and having done that work in the States, trying to do it here was interesting to see what we could find. I and mean, were, were we going to find the same kind of thing? And knowing that while we have enormous diversity in the States, the diversity here is far greater when you're talking about looking at Yemen and looking at Palestine and looking at Iraq and looking at Saudi Arabia and UAE. You're looking at a, an Arab world to be sure, but an Arab world that has within it such incredible diversity and even within each country there is so much diversity that we're looking to see what the contours of all of this are. Here's one thing we find that, that makes millennials in this region different than their superiors, is their, their, their elders, superiors, that's spoken like a 71-year-old, isn't it? You mind my word, I'm your superior. Um, yeah, you listen to me. Um, the, um, they get information differently, just like their peers in the, in the United States. They get their information and they get their inspiration differently. But unlike in the States, where, where it has created a different mindset, it hasn't always contributed to creating a different mindset. Because one of the things we're finding out about online information is that because it's so available, people have siloed themselves into getting information from sources that reaffirm what they already know. So as we're looking at attitudes, we're not finding that millennials have different attitudes than older folks because they're getting different information. They're getting information from different places. They more, are more inclined to get information online than they are from television, more inclined to get information from social media than they are from speaking to uh, the imam at the mosque or uh, or spiritual or consulting spiritual books, but with that said, their attitudes and the attitudes of, of of older folks are not that much different on most religious matters. Um, the The other thing that I thought was interesting when we look at the data is not a whole lot of differences on age, or, or not a whole lot of differences on gender, rather, and not a whole lot of differences based on income. Um, we did some other polling for other folks here, including both older folks and younger folks, and m made some interesting comparisons or found some interesting similarities. Like I said, income is not a big factor. Age is not a big factor. Younger folks and older folks have very similar attitudes. But the two biggest issues that, that sort of shaped difference is educated parent meant that there were going to be some different attitudes in the home. Parents staying together, if it was, came from a stable nuclear family, there was a tendency that attitudes would be different than those who came from a, a, a home that had broken up. That may not be important in, in all countries, but in some countries it was a, it was a real factor. Um, and maybe most importantly, living in a pluralistic society. Um, if you know people, as we ask the question, if you have among your close friends or associates someone of a different faith, um, those who do have very different attitudes than those who don't. Um, and that, those three non, they're not so much demographic factors, they're not like age or gender or income, but those three factors do begin to shape some attitudes that account for some real differences that are here. So what we learned in general, though, I'd put it this way, is that um, Muslim youth, millennials, are committed to their faith, much more so than their counterparts in the US. Uh, they recognize the need for renewal in the discourse, 
they see the discourse, the, the religious discourse is outmoded. It's not relevant. You'll see from some of the polling when I show the slides that they listen to the sermons at the mosque and largely, some find them inspirational, but largely you will find them more often saying it was boring or it was like the government line and it didn't give me anything I felt I need. Um, and they see a more more important that women um, have a more pronounced and visible role in the religious life of their country. They see religion as having an important role in the future of their country, and they also largely, overwhelmingly reject extremist groups. Um, there are going to be differences you'll see from country to country, um, uh, but we'll account for those as we go forward. Let me just start with the slides right now. Um, and I'll do the first one, which is the Sheikh Zayed Mosque. We can look at the, no, it's not moving. Oh, these are the countries we did in the first batch. It was Morocco, Egypt, Saudi, UAE, Bahrain, Kuwait, Jordan, and Palestine. And we only do face-to-face -face interviews. We don't do online or telephone. I don't find them either valuable or trustworthy in this area. Um, you simply don't get the degree of penetration or honesty you do when you do face-to-face. -face. Um, there you go, I'm going to use this. Um, source of identity. You will see, I'm just going to use this, it's fine. Okay, you, you can see that when you're looking at, at um, um, from country to country, that the, the secular identities seem to dominate over, um, over religion, either country or being Arab. Now, I'll tell you that in the most recent polling we've done, even within the last year, I mean like seven, eight months after this, there's been a spike in country ID, in particular in Saudi Arabia and UAE, um, that was really quite pronounced. Not so much in the other places, but in Saudi Arabia and UAE, largely I think having to do with the war in Yemen and a sense of national pride that is developed. And also in Saudi Arabia, also with the, the National uh, Transformation Program and 2030, has created a whole different sense of being Saudi Arabian. Today, 81% of Saudis across the board, youth and older, say principal identity is being Saudi. Um, importance of others knowing you're Muslim. This is interesting. It, it, it's very important to most, but the countries where it is most important are the countries that are the most pluralistic, which is logical. Which is logical because if you're, I mean, if I'm growing up in my village in Lebanon, where everyone was being Zagbi is not that important. I mean, we all are, you know, what the hell. Um, when I go out to Baskinta, that was the, that was the Hatfield and McCoy tribe, then it's really important that I'm Zagbi. So if I'm living in a culture that is mixed, then wanting to have people know that I'm Muslim becomes more important to me. Um, and it also conveys, it also creates, in addition to creating a greater sense of identity as Muslim, it also creates a greater sense of tolerance for diversity. The two go together. Um, we ask questions, a number of different questions about the state and the role of state in religion. Um, you'll see we, there's some further on down, but this was just, should there be regulation of cultural content? And, and, and what we find is that two-thirds, almost two-thirds everywhere, um, two-thirds to three-quarters uh, will say yes. If cultural content breaks moral and ethical values of society, then it should be banned. Here's the question about the role of women uh, in, uh, in religious life. Again, you'll see the number's extraordinarily high, two-thirds or more. Um, uh, almost two-thirds or more in every country saying yes. Um, that, incidentally, 
There are some questions that I want to do, either focus groups or in-depth interviews as we go forward, find exactly what that means. I mean, when 80-plus percent of Saudis say they fully believe that their culture respects, not just respects women, which one would expect them to say, but that it promotes their role in society, their role, their free, their role to pursue their role in society with freedom. That's a question I have to say, what do you mean by that? Exactly translate that for me a little bit so that I understand it better. But it, 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 so that we're looking at, that's what people are saying. And we, when we do polling, we don't ask why questions. We just say, what do you think? The do, to get the why question, you have to do follow-ups. And that's, this is an area where I would, I would want to do some follow-ups. Uh, these are the other questions of the religion and the state. And um, everywhere um, that the state should play a role in ensuring religious discourse and not used to promote violence, incitement, and hatred. Um, the one area where there was the most significant disagreement was the full authority to get involved in anything. In Bahrain was where the state was least trusted in part, I think, because we polled both Sunni and Shia, and there's a tremendous divergence of view um, between the two communities. The reason for the straight line in the UAE was because it was a third, a third, and a third. A third said yes, a third said no, and a third said just not sure. So it was like a, a sort of a flat line answer. Um, in Palestine, Kuwait, uh, I'm going to include UAE and Egypt, um, Again, the countries that are the most diverse, those were the countries that, most pluralistic, those were the countries where the role of the state was viewed as most important in all of those areas. Does religion, does religious discourse need to be reformed? Does the way that religion is, the way it's talked about, this is not the fundamentals of the faith, this is how we talk about it in the mosque or talk about it through religious teachings or talk about it on television? Does it need to be reformed to meet the needs of the current age? Um, and you find a lot of difference uh, here. In, in UAE, no, not at all. It, we're doing just fine. Um, majorities in, slight majority in Egypt split down the middle. Um, more than two-thirds, about seven in 10 in Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, and Jordan. Palestine and Bahrain and Morocco, the three places where they agree that some real serious um, uh, reform needs to, needs to take place. Uh, is religion important to my country's future? Again, across the board, everywhere with the lowest rank, the lowest numbers coming from Bahrain, again, the result of, of, of sectarian turmoil in the country. Um, is religion the cause of the Arab world's decline only in Palestine? And big numbers in Palestine. I hope there's no imams in the audience right now because there's, there's not a whole lot of great grades there. Tirade, boring, or the government's voice, inspiring and uplifting. In UAE, does quite well. Um, Egypt, also well, split elsewhere, but pretty high numbers. I mean, that's, uh, my kid came home with that report card, I wouldn't be happy. And this is on extremism. Uh, the greenish is complete perversion. The orangish is mostly wrong, but sometimes raise an issue I agree with. Uh, the not a perversion at all is the the yellow. And there we go. Um, I, you look, you know, I, I came away from this, uh, this first round of, of study thinking that um, what, we, what we see is a profile of a generation that is like their peers elsewhere, struggling to find their role in the world, very faithful, largely faithful. I mean, they, they, they pray with, with frequency, they... Um, uh, adhere to the principles of the faith uh, to much greater extent than their counterparts in, in, in the West, but they've got some questions about how relevant religion as it is being taught is, and they want reform so that it can be more relevant in their lives. And um, I, again, thank the folks at Taba for
for starting this project and for bringing me in on it because, as I said, I mean, it's a generation that's going to shape the future of the region and better that we talk to them and understand what they're saying and begin to engage in a conversation about what needs and, and desires are than continue to operate blindly. And so uh, that's, the, that's the gist of it. Um, can people hear me if I talk from here? Okay, great. Uh, so that's I, what that little thing is right here. Oh, amazing! This is just incredible. This is yeah. Miraculous. I was flying over and we hit wind, and uh, and the plane started going all over the place. And I am of the talk about faith. I don't understand how those things go up in the first place. I don't understand how these. I know that some people do know it, and I just accept it on faith. I don't know how this works, <laughs> but it does. So we're just going with it. Uh, so I'm going to ask a couple questions that I had um, thought of after looking at the survey. Uh, so I do work in Islam and society, and I'm actually writing a book about Muslim young people in the US, uh, which will be coming out, inshallah, this year. Um, and so I had some questions, and then we're going to open it up to uh, the audience. Uh, and also Abbas is here to answer as well on this, because he's been a, long, a, a huge part of the, the survey as well. So one question I had is looking at the first slide, which was about um, the sources of identity uh, for mm. young people in the region, and uh, how you know we said seven and it's about seven in ten respondents say that it's either uh, you see yourself as an Arab or uh, by your country. So religion is actually not that uh, that central as a source of identity for most young people in the region. And I want to ask Jim and also Abbas if you had a thought about this. Why do you think that is the case that it, religion is not central? And does that seem different, having studied these populations over time, does that seem like a different uh, turn of events than you would, might have expected or seen before? The difference is that in, if you go back to Arab Voices that I wrote in 2010, more often than not, the identity was um, being Arab. Um, and it wasn't Arab in the Nasserist sense. It was Arab as a cultural unit. That's my language, that's my culture, that's my heritage. Um, and television, radio, newspapers all played a role in that. Um, there have been some real shifts in the last... I mean, one of the things that Arab Spring and the unraveling of, of, uh, of, of, of Iraq and, um, and, and Syria and... To, some extent Egypt have done, is force an inward look. And so it makes sense to me that country ID would be important. And when there is a threat, um, a perceived threat, real threat, um, that also contributes to country ID. And I also think that there has been an effort made to uh, promote the legacy um, for example, in this country of Sheikh Zayed, you know, uh, there, there's a sense of country ID being developed that is important, um, and that all has an impact. So um, I, it's a change, and I, as I say, in the most recent polling we did, the change is even is even is even greater. Um, if normalcy is going to take hold in each of these countries, then country ID has to be has to be important. Now. As in all identity issues, and I'm, I'm sure I've got somebody here who does identity stuff, um, uh, I'm a, um, uh, I, I write about this in Arab Voices too. I write about a lot of things in Arab Voices. The, the, we all live with multiple identities, and we're not schizophrenic. I mean, we're, we're, they're all here together. I'm male, I'm a father, I'm a grandfather, I'm uh, an Arab American. I'm a Maronite Catholic. I, I, I mean, I could go on with all. I'm a Dodgers fan. I mean, you know, and I, the word Trump has become a bad word in some ways. But in 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 different interactions, one identity trumps the other. You know, there are times when there are times when I'm a Democrat. Damn it! And you know, I'm not going to let you walk over that. And there are times I'm a when I'm with other Democrats and they don't have the view I do. I'm a progressive. I'm a Bernie Sanders Democrat, or a, I used to be a Jesse Jackson Democrat. So identities are complex, and we live with them all the time. It's just top of mind when I say, "What's your principal source of identity?" And they say to me, "It's being Emirati." 
that says something. And it's something that we need to pay attention to, especially polling is a snapshot. But when you do snapshots over time, it becomes like a moving picture. When you begin to see trend lines emerge, and the trend line in this region is that Arab is being eclipsed by country ID, and I think that's, that's important. Um, I think in our experience, what we found is that, the, like Jim mentioned, um, identities tend to shade into each other. And oftentimes, one of the most difficult things we found that young Arabs um, kind of grapple with is how does my religious identity connect with my other identities? Because religion is something grand, supreme, and my national or my Arab identity is something more you know, terrestrial. So how, how do I really try to understand this? Um, I think it would make a perfect question for like a focus group um, if we were to follow up you know, these the surveys with further questions. But generally in our experience, we find, we find that they, they do tend to struggle with making sense of where your religious identity may begin or stop and where the other one, you know, again, begins or stops. And under what circumstances yeah. it begins or, or stops. I, one of the byproducts of 9-11 was a heightening of Muslim identity among young people yeah. that was almost like a, pardon my French, screw you to the, the, the bad. It was like, you are going to defame me. I mean, women I know who never covered, not covered, in college after because they were saying I am this and you're not, you can't take that away from me and um, and I, I think that you know identity becomes situational in that regard and, and you're right it does become it, it almost becomes interesting to create situations and see mm -hmm. how folks will react to them um, and what they'll say you mm -hmm. know what, what they'll say they are I mean religion infuses my national identity it, it, it or it doesn't, you know, you have to create the situation to see how it plays out. We, we, had, a, we had an interesting um, discussion between two locals, actually, um, two local women, um, when we were following up this study. And they, they themselves had a debate over this issue. One said, my national identity is primary, and the other said, no, my, my religious identity is primary. And they were talking to each other as though the two were you know, kind of disparate categories. But we're trying to tell them, though, they, they do shade into each other, but it's about how you kind of feel in, you know, in a particular moment or yeah. particular time. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that really is confirmed by a lot of the sociological research on identity that it really is about context and situation. And so it's very hard sometimes to get a sense by asking people at a given moment, what is it? Because it depends even where you are, who's in the room, who's, what's happening at the time. So um, that makes a lot of sense. Um, okay, I want to ask another question about the, the one about uh, the role of state in religious affairs. I thought that was interesting. Um, and it seems that this is one thing that often I think surprises people from the West or from America who learn about the separation of church and state from you know, a young age in, in elementary school that this is very crucial and important. Um, but of course, poll after poll in, in the Arab world shows that many people do want the government and religion to be in some way connected. And so I just um, wanted to see uh, your thoughts on that in terms of what that meant for the relation between uh, the religion and, and the state in, this, in these countries or for these young people? I think it will mean something different in, 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 in each country. Clearly something very different in Saudi Arabia than in the UAE. Uh, clearly something different in the UAE than in Egypt. And Lebanon is a wholly different story. Uh, WH, wholly different story. Um, the long plane ride, I... The brain starts doing weird stuff. Um, and, and I think that that's important to, to, to understand um, the why of, 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 of it. Um, if, look, let me, let me be really frank, okay? Um, Muslim Brotherhood won an election in Egypt. It was an existential crisis for half of the country. They saw their Egypt falling away. Um, and it shocked the hell out of them. Stuff that they never would have tolerated 20 years earlier, or 10 years, or even five years earlier, they wanted the state to crack down and stop this. When, after 
after Tamarud. Um, it's, it's the context that created that wanting the, the state to do this. Um, in Saudi Arabia, um, the only country, when, where, when we asked the question in a follow-up we did to another poll, um, should Sharia law be applied in full, the only country where a majority said yes was Saudi. Um, the only country where they said, that, where the plurality said, the, the country should govern, the state should govern as a civil institution and leave religion to religious leaders was UAE. Why? It's the experience of the country. It's the culture of the country. It's where the country is moving. I mean, where else do you have a minister of tolerance, you know? Um, and it's in the same way that Egypt was going through an existential crisis and still is, I think, the UAE is going through an existential definitional moment where they're saying we're a country of a hundred and blah blah nationalities. How do we make this work? It's working now, but how do you keep it working? And that is you have the state play this role versus religious authorities play that role. But they also have the state intervening in religious with the religious authorities to say you can't do this and you can't do that because we're not going to let extremist intolerant currents develop. So I think that it it, it there's no one answer to that question. It's to look at each country and see um, what's happening. I, I mentioned I serve as vice chair of the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom. Um, we will condemn. I, I don't. It, it's largely run by the other party, unfortunately. I, I'm appointed by the, the last White House to it. Um, and it's been an uphill climb the whole time. But we'll do something like we'll, we'll condemn a country for tolerating um, intolerant material in the classrooms or tolerating extremist preachers on television. And then the commission sent a trip over five years ago to some of these countries and raised those issues and sat down with them. And then the government stepped in and took the people off television and redid the textbooks. And then the commission came back two years later and said, um, the state is interfering in education by changing the textbooks or telling the preachers what to say in the mosque. It, they realized in Saudi Arabia they had to deal with these issues for themselves, not to make the U.S. Commission happy. But in the process of doing it, the state intervened in the church. The state intervened with the mosque and said you can't do this or you shouldn't say that and the textbook's got to be changed because we're not going to have our kids going around saying these things. So it, it is situational. It's also developmental. Um, I mean, America is not a secular country, never was a secular country, and certainly in its founding in different states, um, the states behaved in, in, in ways that, and some states are still behaving in ways that, you know, uh, that the state operates with a religious mandate to make decisions. And so, you know, um, I, I think that we have to look at this in, a, in, in, in all of the complexity that it is and deserves um, as, as, we, as we pull it apart. There's no one way to, to, to pull that one apart. I think what's interesting about that question is, is we're asking it today. And um, what we're seeing around the Arab world today is really, you know, it, it's not just a perversion of the religion, but we're seeing, you know, armed groups that are out there creating states, and they're there rebelling against states. And when we see the type of horrors that we see, it's perfectly normal, I think. And, and this has been, you know, we've seen this through our experience and our engagement with Arab youth is that at that moment when they see that, when they see something turn from an idea into violence, they're ready for the state to come in and do what it has to do in order to stem that. But they're also very sensitive to messaging and discourses that are shaped and, and um, you know, crafted to fit a particular narrative. And so I remember you know, vividly, we were speaking to, to one group of, of Egyptian youth, and um, they were complaining that they felt that there was too much state interference in some aspects of religious discourse. 
So they were against, for example, um, a particular narrative or, or being promoted in, in Friday sermons, for example. Um, and they wanted, and they said that, you know, we want change to happen. Um, we want for there to be more relevance in the sermons and the discourses that we're hearing. And then when, when I asked them, who do you think should do that? They said Azhar. And, but Azhar is also part of the state. It's part of the, the you know, it's an organ of the state now. It's, it's part of the state structure. So to the point that, you know, religion has some type of autonomy in the ability to craft a discourse, I think they're okay with it. Um, but the moment it goes into becoming, uh, you know, just, or, or, or the moment it starts to amplify, I think, a particular narrative, they become very sensitive to that. And that's been our general kind of um, observation. Um, so sort of building on that point, one of the questions was about the reform of, of religion. And I'm glad uh, that Jim specified clearly it can, it's a very sensitive issue of people thinking you're saying reform the actual religion itself, the core of the belief system. But in fact, what we're talking about is reforming the discourse, how it's talked about, maybe sermons, different way issues are talked about uh, with, with religion. And it, we said that you know, it was very high in, in Morocco, Egypt, Bahrain, and Palestine. Support for reform of this kind of religious discourse was highest. Um, it was lower in sort of in the middle in Kuwait, Jordan, and Saudi. And then it was extremely low in the UAE. Um, so I just wanted to ask two parts of this question. Maybe mm. you could start a bus. And you started to talk about it. What are the actual mechanisms, the ways that, that these things can be changed if people want them changed? How do you how do, you do that? And what actually does that mm. look like? And then maybe, maybe for Jim or for you, why do you think this is this yearning for reform of religious discourse is different in these different countries? I, th I think, I mean, we asked three questions on, on the topic of reform. Um, we asked a first question, um, do you think religious discourse or the way religion is taught and, um, and understood, do you think it clashes with um, the modern world and therefore needs to be changed? Then we asked, do you think the way the topics that are addressed need to be renewed and updated? And, or, and the third question was, do you, need, do you think that the way religion is presented and talked about needs to be changed? There was very specific reasons why we asked all three, because the idea of reform as a radical reform of the you know, fundamental understandings of the religion that essentially is to change the religion this generally is something that um, I think Muslim societies are very sensitive to. Um, it's not something that they would really accept. It's something that, generally speaking, is understood that, you know, we don't want, that's not what we mean, or that's not what we want. And so we asked the follow-up questions because that was regarding reform in the way that religion is understood and presented. And they definitely agreed, um, according to the polling and, again, um, you know, other, other engagements with the youth, that there, there is definitely something that needs to be done in terms of making religion more relevant to, to younger generations, to newer generations, to the modern world, and specifically um, in terms of the way that is presented and spoken about, the language that's used and the tone. And, I mean, you can see from the Friday sermon um, uh, results um, if we take the whole sample that we, we, we surveyed, it was almost an even split between people who thought that the people who had a negative, youth who had a negative opinion of the sermon and youth who had a positive opinion of the sermon. And oftentimes... And I would just add to yeah. that. Nobody ever lied by telling you it was boring, yeah. but a lot of folks would lie and say, oh, it was inspirational. <laughs> Am I going to go to hell for saying that? No. Yeah. no you know, I mean, no, no, I, yeah, I, I, I think agree. it came out 50-50, and I, I would think skew it the other way. Mm -hmm. No, I, I, I think I would agree with that. I mean, we've, we've definitely seen that there's, I think it goes, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's definitely understood there's a, there, there is a problem with the way that, you know, we're using religious discourse and the way that religious discourse is often being presented um, in order to talk to younger generations. Now, obviously, we cannot generalize because religion is too vast, it's too diverse. And so even with what I'm saying, I, I, can, I know many examples where religion actually is relevant and where actually reform 
or you know that the, the Islamic indigenous term of reform, uh, tajdeed or renewal, is being applied, and that's actually having a positive uh, effect and impact on on younger generations. But then obviously we're seeing the flip side of that as well. So reform itself. Um, it definitely cannot be understood, I think, in the way that is generally understood in the world because that's context-specific. And the Islamic tradition itself does have indigenous ideas, native ideas about reform and how to conduct that reform. And kind of unpicking them and, and bringing them out, I think, would be a very useful addition to, to, the, to the conversation about reform. But, Jim, you want to say something about the... Again, I mean, I think it's situational. Um, I, uh, I have had a practice of picking the Sunday Mass I'll go to when Father De Silva is giving the homily um, because I don't want to hear the other guys. They drive me up a wall. Um... And um, a lot of people do that. So the question is, when the kids are answering that question, um, one way or answering it the other way, it, it, that's where a focus group comes in. That's where a conversation begins to develop over, is it a general rule that it's inspiring? Or uh, are there particular people who inspire you? And when... If we were to cross-tab, which we didn't, the, the inspiring or the boring over against education um, or over and against other attitudes, um, and then ask the question, is it boring because he's saying things you fundamentally disagree with? Or is he simply not relevant to your social needs, you know, your current needs? Those are the kinds of questions to pull out to find the answer to it. But... I, I would I would think that by and large with 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 a 97 percent UAE ought to feel real good that something's happening here that's making kids say it's fine I'm doing well with this you know it's it's working for me. I think what we've seen here is that if because obviously the UAE result really stuck out compared yeah. to the other countries. I mean I think if we were to interpret that from from you know from from what we've seen. Generally speaking, the religious discourse in the UAE, whether we're talking um, pre-Emirates you know, Emirates or, or even up to about um, 10 years ago, the religious discourse that was, was dominant here and, and the religious understanding that was dominant here wasn't necessarily one that was always in conflict with you know, the way people were moving with their lives. Now, there were some narratives and some understanding, fringe understandings of the religion that did cause problems here um, and in other countries around the region, but, but the mainstream generally hasn't really come across that. Unlike, say, in, in Egypt, where over 50, 60 years, there has been this you know, intense debate in the public sphere about religion and um, you know, the rele relevance of religion. And there's been... you know. There's been different orientations of people in their thinking and their viewpoints on religion, but we're not generally seeing that here. And I think that's a, that's a positive thing going forward because one of the things we've seen in the last few years in the UAE is that they've started, they're, they're, they're incubating projects, intellectual projects here, which, which are very interesting. To, and you know, they're landmark in, in terms of what they're talking about and what they're researching, and the implications of them. And I don't think we haven't, we haven't fully seen the implications of them, but over the next few years, I think we will. And so that makes, I think, this, this place suitable in that regard. But yeah, I mean, the, 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 there really is a huge diversity um, you know, across the region as to why I think, why particular countries are looking at this in particular ways. And the way I concluded at the end of it was that overall, the sense is, is that this is a generation that adheres to the faith, yeah. but wants the way it's talked about to be more relevant in their, in, to their, their own needs and experiences. That's a natural and logical 
uh, and that disti that distinguishes them from their parents' generation. Yeah. Um, the older generation wasn't as courageous to speak out bluntly about that. Yeah. Oh. This this generation. And that's is, true everywhere. Yeah, true. I mean, yeah. my mother would be bored silly at a at a at a Sunday mass homily, but if you said anything about it, he was the priest. You don't talk about him that way. And it was the mm -hmm. same. It was the same here. The the fact that the conversation is happening mm -hmm. is itself indicative of yeah. a transformation that's taking place. And the other thing that is there is that there was only one source of information, mm -hmm. and today there are multiple sources of information. Mm -hmm. And so, if you can go online, or in your parents' generation, watch it on television, um, you have a multiplicity of sources mm -hmm. that. Even if they're siloed and they're giving you exactly what you want, they still are places you can go that are alternatives to hearing a sermon and being inspired by it. It may not be working for me, but I can find what I need elsewhere. Um, even if it's the, the, in the, the, the Saudi paper, the, the Friday Ask the Imam question in the in, column in the paper. You know, you have other places to go that you didn't have a generation ago. And that creates also... I mean, the byproduct of that is, yes, it answers your questions, but also provokes questions mm. and creates the opportunity to ask questions, which itself can be an exciting and, for some, a dangerous thing. Um, my parents' generation, and I'm sure your parents' generation, was don't ask. And this is a generation that is asking, and we're encouraging them to ask by giving them answers from a multiplicity of sources. You can find all these answers. Go on out. If they're there for, for the taking, you might as well go out and ask them. I think that, yeah, I think that seems like what a consistent finding here is that this generation feels the power of religion. They acknowledge that power, and it's a question of what to do with it and who's going to help guide them. I remember I heard an interview with, um, her name's Karen Armstrong. She wrote a lot of books about the Prophet Muhammad and different subjects, and she said that religion is like fire. You can use it for good or bad, but it's, it's there, and it's powerful, and so what are you going to do with it? And I think it sounds like the young people in the survey, they feel like it's a powerful force. Um, and so I'm going to ask one final question of the panelists, then we're going to open it up to you all. Um, and this is something that, I, that struck me as well, that across the board, all of the countries, the majority of the people surveyed said that religion has an important role to play in my country's future. And that's at the same time that, as we discussed before, they're saying that my national identity and my Arab identity are actually more central to me than my religious identity, but there's something about religion that they think is important for the country's future. And I wanted to just ask both of you what you thought that role, what that says about the role of religion uh, for this generation, how they're, how they're thinking about that, how they're seeing it. I'm going to start and say I don't know because I think that it's, a, it's an interesting question and at the same time, a not interesting question. Um, the fact that anybody says no is intriguing. The fact that they say yes requires some follow-up questions that we need to ask, and that we're, we're planning some more in-depth interviews. Exactly what does that mean? I mean, I know what it means in Saudi Arabia when people say, 80% say, that the way religion is talked about and, 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 and taught in my country promotes, empowers women, and gives them greater freedom. I know what they mean when they're saying that. I want to hear them say it. When they say, yes, that's what it means, because it tells me something when they can actually verbalize it. When somebody says to me, religion should have an important role in my country's future, okay, what does that mean? Talk to me about that a little bit. That's where I need to get more conversation in. So we've opened a door, now we've got to go in and sit down with the, the folks and say, why'd you say that? And then I also want to talk to the folks who say, no, and say, what does that mean? What are you concerned about here? So it, polling answers questions, but it also raises some new ones, which is good for business. <laughs> I'm Lebanese. What can I say? I mean, it's just, um, so, Sorry. <laughs> you know, I, you're, you're right, I, I think, in, in, in that it, it raises many questions. Um, I think that they, they definitely think about this in different ways. Um, some of them think about it more structurally, that you know, it, it has to have a, a role within the state structure itself. It sh the state somehow should be led or guided by religion. 
I personally, my personal opinion is that they don't know exactly how or what that looks like. Um, but we did actually ask this question up, uh, outright to, to some groups that we spoke to um, over the last year. And the majority of them said that um, what I do know for certain is that religion should be, it, it should be like an ethical and moral compass mm -hmm. for my future. Um, I don't want the state to completely lose that. Um, I don't think they mean a complete separation of church and state because it's not going to happen uh, in, in this region. I mean, the, the norm has always been that religion is part of the state. Um, and it's, it's very difficult actually to imagine um, in this region that there's a complete separation because that would mean, you know, the mosques will become privatized and, you know, the courts, you know, don't longer, no longer deal with the issues that they deal with and so on. I think that is very difficult for people to, to, to fathom. But I think that definitely the, 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 the thinking is more along the lines that they, we need to keep this ethical moral compass. And um, somehow this should be guiding our future. But I, I do believe that they, they, they know the specifics of the answer um, are not very clear. You've been listening to a download from the NYU Abu Dhabi Institute. You'll find more information on our website www.nyuad.nyu.edu slash institute.